I'm not superstitious, but I'm I am a little stitious. Hi everyone, my name is Antoine C. Ah, uh, Kyle Brad from the Stratton T2 team. I'm Haley Sorbel. Hi, this is Andy Newell. Hi, I'm Rosie Frankowski from APU. I'm kind of a big deal. Oh, good for you! People know me. I'm very happy for you. And how was it? It was a good day. This course is really good for gradual striding. It was a really fun race then. First of all, excuse me, Here we have with the hero Bjorn Daly. They've done studies, you know. Today we're going to talk about the difference between upper body and lower body limb extraction in cross country skiing. Brooksy, if I want to explain it to you, I would. Get some facts and come back and see. Honestly, have you ever been in a room, a wax room, where they're all applying these HF waxes? Formidable scent. Stings the nostrils. Well, competition. No, no, no. It just seems like everyone's doping nowadays. It's illegal in nine countries. No! Me too. Freestyle. I think on the flats, I, I've never seen a female ski fast. I think she's probably the fastest female on the V2 on the flat. I, I saw that. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficiently, for the day is its own trouble. Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Cedar Skier Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in all of Lake County. Oh, sorry, the fastest Nordic ski-specific podcast in all of Lake County. I'm your host, Ryan Cedar, because we are broadcasting to you live here from Shovel Lake Public Radio. You might be wondering, why on earth did we open up by talking about tomorrow? Well, it is spring, it's spring skiing, and all that that means is that you do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. There might be grooming, there might not, there might be crust, there might be a blizzard, there might be 60 degrees. You got to take advantage of the skiing while the skiing is good. Get out there, get some K's in, don't worry, you can take some time off after the snow all melts. This is one of the best times of the year to ski, too, honestly, so... I never understand why people are uh, anxious to put their skis away at this time of year here in Colorado. So we have longer days, got a little bit warmer temperatures. It's wonderful. The snow's fast. It feels good to be out there. Hopefully you've been getting out there and getting some skis in. Lately, uh, we're going to start out actually with a grooming report, uh, speaking of grooming. So up here in Lake County, we have gotten a couple of decent storms, but it's not really falling in the city of Leadville so much. It's kind of like over the edge by Tennessee Pass. And that's fine by us because the mineral belt is not really being groomed as far as I know. I haven't even got bothered to go over and check. After we had that warm stretch, um, it kind of decimated the in-town portions of the mineral belt, which means that you only have like 30 inches of base everywhere else on the trail. But to our groomers, that, that means, oh, it's done. It's time to you know, get the mountain bikes out and everything. So in town, not great. But Tennessee Pass has been grooming 
daily or almost daily. Uh, in these last blizzards and storms we've had today, it's a bit it's a bit windy out there, um, and so they they did not groom today, but that was fine. Um, so that's the place to be. If you're in Leadville, you've got you've got grooming at Tennessee Pass. Hit it early, hit it in the morning. Um, I actually did have a pretty good experience out there, even as it warmed up. For some reason, my skis were working really well. Um, it didn't really get slow and slushy. Not sure if that's kind of one of those really high altitude things. I mean, we, we do have slow and slushy snow occasionally out here. So, But for whatever reason, I started a ski at 8 o'clock. And I was cold, had mittens, coat, jacket, the normal attire. And by 11, I, I just kind of was feeling great. And it was sunny. It got up to maybe 35, 40 degrees. And I had assumed I'd be stopping at that point. I usually can't make it <clears throat> much past, you know, two hours and 20 minutes, two and a half hours, if I'm just kind of hitting it out in the morning. But I felt great. Put the dog back in the car because Aja had put in plenty of Ks already and went back out in shorts and a singlet and a hat. And it was awesome. So kind of a rare occurrence, I think, to have a day where you you head out and you start skiing with VR40 kick wax and you're getting along fine. And later on in that same workout, you're still gliding fast on the same skis, but wearing shorts and a singlet. That was a few days ago up here in Leadville. So that's how things are kind of going. I also did went around and check some of the other venues. This is as of probably April 2nd, April 3rd. Okay. We're broadcasting to you live here, April 5th. It's my birthday. Cedar skier turns 31 today. Thank you very much. Appreciate the 22 posts on Facebook letting me know that. How weird is that? You know, when I turned uh, 19, Facebook was a huge deal. Like I went on Facebook and had two or 300 posts and now it's like it has gradually gone down pretty significantly, and especially the last couple of years. I mean, we're like, if I got to fifty, that'd be kind of amazing. But I think, I think I did have like fifty last last year, maybe. So either people are really hating me, everyone's really ditching Facebook, at least in my demographic or whatever. I, I don't really know, but social media is it's a bit of a it's not a mystery, but it's it's um, I'm terrible at it, you know, in terms of just success rate. I mean, I see people out on Instagram who, when they post just a typical, hi, I'm alive, my heart is still beating, they get the 90 or 100 likes. And I kind of remember, again, about 12 years ago, and that's what Facebook was like. The really popular kids could say, you know, Brett Brett Favre's mom wears army boots, and 130 people are going to like that post. And then the unpopular kids like me, I could still write something dumb like, you know, what I'm not even going to come up with it. But but if I posted something, you'd get you'd sit at like 60 or 70. Like the the bots are going to recognize that you have a pulse. Instagram is cruel to me. I don't understand it. I mean, I will get regularly uh, posts that garner one to three likes. You know, I had a post the other day. You know, this is about a month and a half ago. And I think I had three or four likes. And one of them was Andy Newell, which made me feel really sweet. Like, of the four likes here, <laughs> I've got Andy Newell liking my post. That makes at least makes me feel cool from the Nordic side of things. But anyway, social media. Now, where was I even going with this? Oh, yeah, grooming report. I went around. CMC. Did not try to ski there because on this day it was, it was somewhat warm. Unfortunately, they have not been really uh, grooming it since the warm spell that I have noticed. Uh, the college put on a sort of a snowboard pipe thing. I think it's part of their class to actually run an event. That was at the end of March. Now, April skate skiing in the woods. Last two years I've been here, 
I have skied in there as late as April 12th, April 15th. And I kind of understand why they stopped grooming around that time, almost no matter what. You know, school's trying to almost you know, pretty much wrap up at that point. But, um, and this year, they they were grooming really nicely after the Leadville Loppet for skating. For some reason, they weren't really dropping any classic tracks. And I'll get to this in a minute. My, my grooming tire, this show's going to be a little bit, a little bit of talking about grooming because there's just there's a lot to get to. Okay. I've got, I've got some stories to share. I even have newspaper clippings to share about the topic of, of grooming. So we're going to get there. I think, I think it'll be a good opening rant. A lot more on this show to talk to, uh, talk about as well. So we'll see how, how short we keep it. But anyway, they, this year I, I was, Pleasantly surprised that with their new Primoth Husky groomer, I think it's like 18 feet long. It's it's the best groomer that there is you can buy. You know, it makes cement firm tracks, uh, classic end skate in one pass. Uh, you don't have to even the, the, the really hardcore double pull freaks like me are not going to complain if that thing drops a track around. And so it's been great when they have been grooming here in March. Um and I was even shocked a couple of times, uh, I want to say like second week of March, right after the Sonoma Ranch Stampede. So, you know, March 13th to March 20th, we had some really great weather, you know, it'd be 20 degrees in the morning. It was getting up to about mid 40s. So, you know, by the evening, you could um, you could kind of go back out there if you wanted to get a ski, if you went late, you know, but then you, you did have to deal with a lot of times people who had gone when it was way too warm and are sinking way in. I don't even understand that, but... Uh, the groomer was coming back out like every day. They groomed two or three days in a row, which to me is a little bit, sometimes I feel like it's overkill sometimes too, where, where were you in January? You know, and we had like the six inch blizzards and then you let it sit for, for seven days. Like that's when I need some regular grooming guys. Help me out. You know, and like, this is awesome. I love daily grooming all the time, but um, sometimes I feel like they, they hit it really randomly. So that, that can be somewhat of an issue. I may come back there late when everything is crusking because again the snow is going to hold up really well by california gulch that stretch the straightaway on the mineral belt, mineral belt there um was good till about may 20th last year and sometimes it is really smooth um and it, it just kind of stays in the shade at the right time of the year uh, I, i've had some some good hamster wheel sessions on that stretch so i might i might check back in we'll see what it is but right now i don't i can't really bring it to myself to be depressed about them not grooming that because last year man we had some awesome sessions in early april and it just kind of bumped me out that we didn't get there that year or this year turquoise lake tons of snow there so i am really interested to see how long that's gonna last they will probably clear the damn road eventually here but as of right now, as of two days ago, it was not cleared. They did clear one half of the road on like the campground side. I I, I read on the um, <clears throat> snowmobile groomers page thing that that's that was a decision they made, and so that that's interesting. I guess I guess you could like ride your road bike. Maybe I should try this. Christy rides the road bike, pulls Novi. I double pull on the snow. One road, one voice, one belief. We can do it. We could try that workout. That might be kind of interesting. Here we go, sipping some coffee here on the Cedar Skier podcast. Thanks for joining us. Um, all right, so grooming. What is what's the story? I got the scoop. Um, so I went to pick up my Leadville Loppet hat and mug for uh the the victorious day on the Leadville Loppet, February of this year. I got another nice, beautiful little Leadville Loppet mug that does not say anything. Other than Leadville Loppet on it, obviously, they did not want to customize those to even say what race it was or anything, okay? I could have showed up 
and done the 5K in a costume and gotten fourth place, and I would have gotten that mug. But anyway, well, actually, I think they give bigger mugs to the overall winners, maybe. that That's a little, I think they have like the little age group cups that are not quite as big. But honestly, if it doesn't say anything, like, you know, you can have people coming over to Mikasa Cedarquist or whatever, like, they're not going to know. And it obviously, the reason we race these citizens' races is to put little trophies on the mantle at the house so that you can brag about yourself, obviously. Um, I was over picking up my hat from a very nice gentleman who has lived in Leadville his entire life. He's in his upper 80s now. And I got the scoop about the grooming situation here in Leadville. I thought I'd share that here on 1000 Watt Radio. (laughs) For those of you who are fascinated by these things, if you are one of our Midwestern listeners, I'm sorry, but maybe the drama will still make for happiness and you can kind of chip in your thoughts and ideas about grooming situations. If you live in the in Minneapolis area, I know we have a few listeners there. Good for you. You can go to Theodore Worth and it's like, you know, perfect all the time. That's great. By the way, when they had juniors there, U.S. juniors, um, beginning of March, I wanted to see if I could double pull the sprint course there. <laughs> and um, it was so cool, guys. Like, rock solid firm grooming you know and then you got the man-made mixture of snow it was so fast i think this the top of that sprint hill it had to have been in the 12 percent, 14 percent degree incline you know the, it is a homologated fist course so it was in the striding uh, mandatory striding zone and oftentimes those are pretty steep anyway and i did make it around i just thought i was like this is so fascinating how you know, you have that man-made snow, just how much faster it is and coming straight from, a, you know, I just skied this powder fest course in another area in Colorado too, where the snow is just generally slow. Um, felt kind of like you were taking steroids or I don't even know, you know, like running with the wind downhill. If you live in Alamosa, that's kind of what it felt like. So that was a good deal. Uh, yeah. So Howard, maybe I shouldn't say his name. Um, Andre, can you go back and delete that? So basically, here's what has happened. I think two years ago, we had a we used a Piston Bully Groomer, uh, Piston Bully 100, I want to say, from the Snowmobile Club. Well, actually, backing up a little bit farther, CMC used to groom the mineral belt. And apparently, the city, park, board, whatever, the people who are kind of in control of deciding how the mineral belt gets groomed, which I know you might think, how are you that stupid and you don't know the technical term for that? It's complicated here. Like if you want to get anything done, you got to go through all these different boards and stuff. So I'm sorry, I don't actually know. Rec board maybe is the one that kind of controls it. It's kind of a combination, many different people. Um, I would be fine actually if at Leadville we set up like a dictator, you know, like a total dictator, just have the mayor, Greg, uh, just be able to do whatever he wants because I think he would side with Nordic skiers most of the time. But anyway... Um, they had CMC grooming for a while. Then they said, CMC, we don't need you. They basically said, you know, did that whole thing, which was too bad because the CMC groomers know what they're doing and they, they enjoy grooming more than once every millennia. So we went the next year with a, uh, this is last year. We hired out to a guy who I think lives in Craig. He would store his, his groomer here. And then he'd make this trip on Tuesdays and Saturdays. And every time it was groomed, it was phenomenal because I'm pretty sure the groomer he used, again, was one of the 18-footer Husky ones, the Primeth Husky ones. So so it wasn't always that, you know, every single day was perfect, but when it was groomed, you knew what you were going to get, and it was always very good. Uh, this year, <clears throat> we had a little bit of a debacle, and here's where the drama comes in because on Facebook, the Mineral Belt Trail posted and said early in November when the snow started falling, 
that they were having trouble with the regular groomer and that they were going to be using the backup groomer on the machine. And so when I went out for the first, you know, few skis that we had had this had grooming down in the mineral belt, it was very apparent that this was not the Plymouth Husky, but it was still a piston bully. The hundred is not quite as wide, which doesn't really matter that much if you're mostly skate skiing or classic striding, but it was extremely noticeable from a quality standpoint um, for double pulling. And actually, even even classic striding too, the classic track just wasn't as smooth and pure. Well, we had kind of just one of those seasons that got a late start, and I kept showing up Tuesday and Saturday sort of wondering, all right, when are we going to get you know, that perfect groom job done? And it never really ended up happening. And, you know, by about January, you're just like, whatever, this is just what it is. And, and there were times where, you know, even with, with the Piston Boy 100, which isn't as good, you know, yeah, okay, we get that. But there was also just some poor groom jobs, like times where the trail would, would be very strange, um, way off to the side. They, they moved the classic track way far to the right, which was another dramatic, you know, thing. We had some people apparently you know, saying, well, we don't have enough room for skate skiing. And so they moved the classic track way off the right. Then these classic skiers kind of were like, this is crap. Like our poles are punching through. And so there's a little bit of debacle there. All sorts of drama. Did you ever imagine there would be this much drama around grooming? Um, but basically I kind of, you know, brought up this point. It's like, well, so that was just dishonest that they said on the Facebook page at the beginning of the, beginning of the year that we're waiting on the machine to get fixed because that made it sound like the arrangement was the same. Guy from Craig's going to come, going to use the good groomer, and that did not happen ever. And that was the case. It was apparently not, that was not going to happen. Now, here's the part that I want to bring up, and maybe someone, you know, if you want to email me or um, give me give me your two cents, I'd love to hear it, what you think about this, because... I was told that the cost of the grooming last year <clears throat> at the end of the year was seven grand. And to me, that doesn't seem like that much when you consider last year we started grooming end of October and our last groom was like April 10th. Twice a week for half of the year, $7,000 um, for the whole city to foot that bill. To me, if if that's what it is, like, fine, great. I, that's totally worth it. I was thinking it was maybe more like a $20,000 thing where you're like, oh, man, it's expensive, but it's worth it. In Leadville, 7000 is totally worth it. And, you know, we had – this is another angle or layer to this story. Apparently, the person who was grooming this year, and I brought up, you know, some of the jobs were suscept or suspect. That's, that's the word I'm looking for. He, he was – so chastised by the general public apparently that he quit so it was a guy from the snowmobile club he was coming up out of the goodness of his heart you know well hired out i guess to groom the mineral belt and people gave him such a hard time he stopped so then they had to find their backup groomer to do it so just a kind of a mess and it seems like well for seven thousand dollars to do the arrangement we had last year we had really high quality grooming that was done at night you know like this year sometimes it was done in the day and it was soft it was it was a mess and um yeah, so that's one thing is $7,000 for a whole city to as like Leadville that really utilizes it, I think is worth it. Here's the other thing, though. I think in an ideal situation, Lake County High School has a lot of top-level skiers. And in fact, living in Leadville, you have three athletes off the top, well, four athletes that were U.S. Junior National Qualifying Athletes, and three of those are like... You know, one of them went to World Juniors. The other one will be going to World Juniors. Maybe two, both of them will be. I mean, we have top-level high school skiers. We have tons of middle school skiers in our program. Um, they should 
they should have good grooming, even if it's just on a two to five K loop. And I am someone who would way rather know that every day of the week, at least two to three K of trail is going to be groomed that day. So I, I don't, think we have to make this push of like every time there's a groom we're going to groom all 30 miles of leadville's trails like you know the mineral belt's 12 cmc's got at least another 10 15k um i would way rather have a cmc student you know i'm part of their program every day they're going to groom the exercise loop maybe a little bit more exercise loop is like 2k you know it, it would take 15 minutes to do it. it just have someone run run over a groomer at least four days a week, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, something like that when, when the kids are practicing so that they know what they're going to get too. Um, and so I guess I'm just way more of like, I, I get it. Gas is expensive. Mechanic, you know, having someone drive the groomer, that's expensive. But can we make a call for in our city, at least to groom a portion all of the time? And I feel like that would, that would be cost effective. And if you're doing a situation where, you're kind of bringing someone who's from the snowmobile club anyway, like, well, that, that needs to be remedied because that's a hassle for them. If they're coming up to groom it, they're going to groom the whole thing. If they got to bring, well, actually I think we have our piston bully 100 groomer sitting up here. I don't know. Aside, I think the ideal situation is until we get someone to be like a full-time job and they're grooming the mineral belt all the time, which is a suggestion that was made. And, um, the Howard was kind of suggesting, I think this is where we're headed, but that's a salary position. Now you're talking about in addition to all of the extra cost of, um, upkeep fuel, et cetera. So until then, why not, why not work a deal with CMC who now owns the best groomer, have them groom the one hill, um, that is, that goes down to Dutch Henry, at least for the kids, like get that two and a half K section every day. We should have something there. Um, and, and then, yeah, maybe you groom the mineral belt once or twice a week, which kind of seems to be sufficient for the people using it. Obviously, if you could groom that every, uh, more often, it'd be great. But if you're going to groom it, um, at all and it's low quality, it's, it's just not even worth it. Like there were times where they groom it. It's like, I'm not even going to touch this. A fresh groom job. That's terrible. Isn't even worth it, you know, <laughs> or a fresh groom that is done 30 minutes before we get four inches of snow. Like what a waste. So there is my, um, <laughs> my rant on grooming, but it's not done yet, folks. This was a letter when I was home in Minnesota, I was digging around in my grandpa's, uh, stuff. He's passed away now. Um, and he, my grandma has some scrapbooks that were from, from, uh, her kids, you know, so my, my mom and her sisters and brother. And it was fun kind of looking at some scrapbooks. And I found in there a letter in the Fargo form from my mom and from her sister, both about grooming. So this is a great letter. I don't, I don't know what year this was written, but, um, I thought it'd be cool to share the podcast because I think it speaks to something we all say. So here's the letter. It says, Sunday, February 9th was a gorgeous day to enjoy winter sports. My sport of choice is cross-country skiing. My husband, brother, and I were skiing a good pace down a trail in the Fargo Country Club area when we met a snowshoer trudging down the ski trail. Why would someone who is wearing snowshoes and can walk on top of the snow anywhere choose to destroy the one decent ski trail that was available in the golf course? Excellent question, Auntie Kim. Excellent question. The only reason we could think of is sheer ignorance. A ski trail, man-made or machine-tracked, is designed to hold a person's skis in a track, allowing them to glide rapidly over the snow. I, lo I love, by the way, this is like concise to the point, explains like the problem. It's just like, you couldn't more beautifully express. Yes, this is why. Next sentence. Once the track is obliterated by a walker or snowmobile, our skis slip sideways and we are unable to maintain a speed faster than a walk. 
There are sidewalk streets and inside tracks available for walkers, not to mention the river of snowmobiles. Please be uh, the river. Uh, yeah, please be considerate of the skiers and stay off the ski trails. Ski trails. Yeah, and I think you know around here. I, I definitely understand the middle belt. If it's going to be community funded, we're going to we're going to all be pitching in for that. There has to be a balance of um, allowing people to use it for what they enjoy doing with it as well. And I will say, when the as spectacular of a groom job as it was last year when we had that happening, I would I would get irritated every once in a while by a fat tire bike or mo- runners and walkers typically ir- irritate me a little bit more because. It doesn't even strike me as being fun to like be slipping and sliding and sinking into the snow. Like you're having a miserable walk and you're making the trail miserable for skiers. Like who wins in that situation? Um, or in the spring, the fat tire biker who is going on a ride at 2 p.m. when it's 50 degrees out and you're sinking and ruining the snow for the next day. It's like it's 50 out. You should just bike on the road at this point. Um so that that's those are my two things. It's like, hey, for those guys, like we've got great fat tire bike trails, and if you're a runner and you want to run on snow, those are more enjoyable and often more firm. They kind of have that good soft trail feel where they're soft but firm, you know, grippy. I guess you could say, why not stay on there? Like, I, I don't know. It, it is a it is a bit frustrating. This is nowhere near obviously what you're seeing. You know, I remember growing up in the Midwest, and yeah, a snowmobiler would come on. At least we don't have that issue. Um, and that was from my Ani Kim. My mom, my mom's letter is a little bit longer, so I'm interested to read this and see how she really tears into this. The title is Keep Snowmobiles Off Parks Groomed Trails. Okay. It says February 2nd. <laughs> I can do some detective work, so the last one was February 9th. Um, February 2nd was one of four to five only warm, sunny days we have had this winter. Just going to dissect this for those of you who know my mom. This opening line is just so emblematic of who she is. Like um, a little bit on that pessimistic side. We've only had four or five sunny days. She she lives for the sun. So, of course, she's going to mention that it was sunny, but, but we've only had four or five. The perfect day. Next sentence. My brother and I took advantage of this and went for a cross-country ski. Poor Uncle Bob, by the way. He had to ski with Auntie Kim and Uncle Mike, and now he's back with my mom. I mean... He must have been fit at this point, although he got a week off. After crossing the river and plowing over a mile through the deep snow in the Fargo Country Club, so they must not have groomed that. She was probably not too happy. We were welcomed by the groomed ski trails in Lindenwood Park. A shine of optimism from my mother. I am thankful that the Fargo Park District takes the time and effort involved to groom the approximately three-mile stretch of trail running from I-94 to the dike. This is a great benefit for those of us who live on the south side and don't have the time to drive to the trails at Edgewood Golf Course. We had just picked up a good pace. I think it's kind of crazy, actually. My mom gave a compliment to the city of Fargo. That's, I mean, Dad, are you listening to this? We had just picked up a good pace skiing when, to our dismay, Only about one half mile down the trail, a snowmobile had come off the river and turned onto the ski trail. What is he doing? It drove right down the middle of the track, (laughs) totally obliterating it. Both sisters used the word obliterate. I will point that out as the literary analysis here. Not only was this a thoughtless thing to do, but I believe it is also illegal to drive a snowmobile in a city park. That's a good point, Ralph. That's a good point, Ralph. Ralph? You hear that? You can't drive snowmobiles right through city parks. What is this, Leadville? Hmm. She's not done, though. 
Although angered by the inconsiderate snowmobiler, we continued to the footbridge, hoping the track wasn't destroyed all the way to the dike. We were then faced with a groomed trail that had been destroyed by people walking on it. For those snowmobiles and walkers who don't understand our frustration, let me explain. Oh, interesting. So now my mom is going to explain. Let's see how she differs. She, she needed more words than Ani Kim, it looks like, just by eyeing up this paragraph. To cross-country ski with any sort of speed faster than a walk, a track is needed to prevent the skis from slipping from side to side. Oh, Mom, you could work on your balance here. This is an opportunity to hone that skill. It would be like telling snowmobiles to go out and have fun, but only go three miles an hour. Or like telling a group of walkers to get their exercise by walking on a skating rink. We all want to enjoy the winter weather. And, the, and the, Now, you, by the way, for those of you who are readers of the Vale Daily, you understand where I get my extreme metaphors from. Okay, good job. Similes, like. We all want to enjoy the winter weather and the sports available. However, there are miles of sidewalks to walk on in both Fargo and Moorhead, and the river is wide open for all the snowmobiles. Please, read the signs the Fargo Park District has posted and obey them by not destroying the groomed ski trails. Then we can all enjoy snow we have received this year. Advocates, people, advocates. So you know where I get it from, my advocacy. It's from my mother. It's from my aunt. The competitiveness from my grandmother. And the desire to memorialize it in a scrapbook, also from my grandmother. That's a little taste of from Fargo Moorhead uh, and what they're going on in the grooming situation there. Let's switch gears a little bit. And it wasn't exactly thinking we'd spend that much time on this topic, but I think it's important. I think it is important. Um, I have a book I just finished reading. It's called Every Man Dies Alone. It was written by Hans Falada. I think I'm saying that, that name right. Not completely sure. This is, about a, uh, this is a thick book, guys, like 520 pages. Um, a New York Times book review, notable book of the year. Uh, came, let's see, when, well, it was written in the 40s, I believe. Kind of interesting story of how it came about. Translation was 2009, though, so... It was written in 1947, first published as, and then there's a German title that I can't read. And on the back, this will just kind of give you a taste of the, the it's a World War II book, okay, Germany. Uh, based on a true story, this sweeping saga tells us a tale of a working class couple in Berlin who decide to take a stand against the Nazis. More than an edge-of-your-seat thriller, more than a moving romance, even more than literature of the highest order, it's a deeply moving story of two people who stand up for what's right and for each other. Hans Falada wrote, Every Man Dies Alone in a feverish 24 days. Soon after the end of World War II and his release from a Nazi insane asylum, he did not live to see its publication. Um, these are some quotes on the back. The greatest book ever written about German resistance to the Nazis. Alan First says, Hans Falada, Every Man Dies Alone is one of the most extraordinary and compelling novels ever written about World War II ever. Please do not miss this. Uh, Los Angeles Times, one of the most extraordinary, ambitious literary resurrections in recent memory. Montreal Gazette says, It is no wonder that the work's reception in the English-speaking world has been the journalistic equivalent of a collective dropped jaw. I saw this book for free, and I read the back, and I just took it. <laughs> and it was totally worth it. This book, um, I finished it in like a week. Once you get, this is my rule, you know, for those of you who aren't really thrilled about reading, pick up a book and read the first 40 pages in one sitting and then see if you want to come back to it a second or third time. That's usually a good indication to me. Like if I'm kind of excited to come back, um, sometimes the second day is going to be a little bit harder too. But this was one of those books where after the first 40 pages, you came back a second time and then you were hooked and it was every, every second I wanted to read this. So just a little background, they talked about the two characters in it. Basically what you got is 
and there's a it, it, it is all of the things that the back said a sweeping saga yes talks about resistance a working class couple yes uh it's a thriller it's a romance it's also literature of the highest order those of you who appreciate authors who just are good writers you'll um you'll really like the the random little phrases or moments where he encapsulates the human character it, it's all of those things which is kind of amazing considering too it's a translation i i wasn't sure if that would kind of rob it of the literary um thrill i guess as a reader when you kind of like wow i can't believe how he used that word right there or you know described this in that way no it's it's great and it but it's not above the head enough where you are straining to comprehend every phrase. I actually just finished reading a biography on Grantland Rice, the 19, you know, 10s, 20s, 30s famous sports writer. And the the author who wrote that, a phenomenal Boston-based sports writer, and he he wrote that book, which was maybe 200 pages, a lot smaller than this one, but every line, every word was chiseled in. And it was kind of one of those where you wanted to have a thesaurus or a dictionary on hand. Also very much appreciated that. But this book, even though it had that, had this high level of, a high level literature to it, it was, it was one of those books that you could read probably when you were in eighth grade too. So fascinating because I think, and, and now that I'm reading more authors, I, I think I'm kind of starting to appreciate that where some people, their talent is more in word smithiness and some people, their talent is they can use simple words to describe something that we all know and can relate to, but we hadn't really thought about or had been able to put into words. That's more what this one is. Anyway, I thought I would bring up this book because of a page that I read, page 135 out of here. So I got I to gotta explain just really fast what's going on. You've got this couple, and essentially what they decide to do to resist the Nazis is write postcards that are like, you know, 30 to 100 words, basically the equivalent of a tweet that kind of bashes Hitler or the party or the war in general. So an anti-German, anti-Nazi Twitter post, basically. And they're putting them on postcards and they would walk around and drop these postcards off anonymously. And they ended up dropping over the course of two years, about 260 of them. And what would end, what they would hope, what they hoped is that essentially what you hope when you post a tweet now, you know, is that our message will connect with people who are thinking the same thing that we're thinking and and we'll kind of build this momentum against this awful thing or we'll, we'll sort of express this belief and and it, the the thing that's kind of frightening is essentially these people who end up you know um well spoiler alert stop the podcast if you don't know what what's happening you probably guess what ends up happening to them but I'll pause for a second okay Click pause if you want to skip this. I'm going to talk about just the next 30 seconds. Um, It costs them their lives. And it's very obvious at the beginning that they recognize that it will cost them their lives. So that's why it's not totally a spoiler alert that it's going to cost them their lives to do this. But the crazy part is, is, you know, they drop a postcard and the first person that picks it up is terrified of it. You know, so they drop it in secret, they walk away, and and the book then goes, you know, this so-and-so person walked by the postcard, picked it up, they're terrified, they bring it to their superior, the superior's terrified, you know, they call the Gestapo, and they they turn that thing in right away. That's like what every single one of them does, just the, the, the sheer horror of embracing an idea that is against what the government has said is okay. 
And you think about where we live in in our world today. You know, if you share a tweet that is from a someone who <laughs> someone who is not uh, in the good graces of the mainstream, so to speak, that's a risk you're taking just to just to align yourself with them by sharing it. You know. Uh, we live in, in essentially what I'm saying is we live in the same type of day and age right now. It hasn't gotten to the point where citizens are turning other citizens in. Oh, wait, maybe it has. <laughs> you know, that was the other thing, too. It's like you, you, the concern there was what if someone sort of calls you out on your standing aligned with that message? Now you pay the price with your life. But that is essentially what like cancel culture is. No, we don't have these crazy prisons and torture cells. We're not there yet. But but the same idea is there. Um, and so I was just like, wow, this is basically Twitter in 1942. So this is, this page is coming from um, at the beginning of the book when he's, when the husband, Otto, is coming up with the idea that let's write postcards, let's do this. This will be our act of resistance against the party and her, his husband, Anna. They're having a conversation back and forth. He says, the people who find them, he says, saying aloud things he's thought through a hundred times, will be afraid of being seen on the stairs. They will quickly pocket the cards and run off, or they may lay them down again and disappear, and then the next person will come along. That's right, says Anna, and she can see the staircase before her eyes, a typical Berlin staircase, badly lit, and anyone with a card in his hand will suddenly feel like a criminal, because in fact, everyone thinks the way the writer of the card thinks, but they can't let it show, because it's a capital crime. How many ideas are swirling around our mainstream right now where people think that exact thing? Yes, I'm in agreement with that, but there's not a chance that I can show that agreement because it's a capital crime. Crazy. Some, Otto resumes, will hand the card in right away to the block warrant of the police, anything to be rid of it. And that's kind of those people who like immediately are calling out, you know, this person said this, this person's a racist, this person's a bigot. But even that doesn't matter. Whether it's shown to the party or not, whether to an official or policeman, they will all read the card and it will have some effect on them, even if the only effect is to remind them that there is still resistance out there and that not everyone thinks like the Fuhrer. Am I saying that right? Fuhrer? The leader? Hitler. Um, yeah, I, I like had to stop when I was reading that page because all these ideas had come to my head like, whoa, that's crazy. So those of you, I know some of you listeners out there are... Um, your readers like me and you kind of like a good book that's a good one to find if you can have it every man dies alone it's right there um <laughs> our our subscribers right now i have a loyal and faithful subscriber to the cedar Scare podcast you can go on anchor and 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 shoot us a message um he's going to be the one who gets to borrow my book if he so desires so i'm already giving lending mine out sorry if you're someone else who wanted it that beautiful angelic voice you heard was novi Novi just uh, squeaking and squawking back in the background there, singing all nice. Um, <clears throat> next thing that I wanted to get to here, we had an article on cedarscare.com, definition of success. It was about, uh, it wasn't about the definition of success. It was how to succeed as an athlete. You know, he put these uh, these 10 sort of golden commandments there. Um, he started having a little bit of fun, but also trying to point out some things that I felt were important to striving for success as an athlete. And there was um, some uh, some comments when I posted it on Facebook, which is always good. I love seeing some of that stuff. And one of them got me thinking. So I want to read the comment first. Oh, yeah. So <clears throat> I'm glad that this person is following 
my post. I appreciate it. Uh, Rachel Perkins, you know, she's running FasterSkier.com, the preeminent leader in covering Nordic skiing in North America. And she said, my add-in, write your own definition of success. Maybe this is a result. Maybe it's not. Maybe it has the asterisks of optimizing your fitness with the constraints of being a working parent. Success and optimization can look a lot of different ways, and the experience is more rewarding overall if you decide for yourself what type of outcome and process is ultimately meaningful to you. And originally, when I read this, I was like, huh, this is interesting. Like, is success something that is completely arbitrary? Um, and, you know, your your definition of success can be different than mine, and we're all still good. And obviously, Obviously, people are going to have different definitions of success anyway, whether I say it's right or wrong. It doesn't really, it's not going to stop them. Um, but we live in a world where where <clears throat> people have, have started to deny just the reality that there is such a thing as truth, an objective truth. So I was kind of like, you know, if I, as a Christian, I live, I believe we're living in a created order. So does the creator also define things like success? That, that's sort of where I'm coming from here. Uh, but then I, I read this comment again and I thought, you know, actually, I don't think this is even going there. It's not even saying, you know, fundamentally defining success differently, but just success looks differently. And I'm absolutely in agreement with that. Because for me, I would say your definition of success is maximizing your potential to the fullest, giving giving your wholehearted effort to do so. But that doesn't mean that um, everyone, in order to experience success in athletics, has to quit everything they're doing you know, and if they're not training 22 hours a week and have a hired physiotherapist and getting massages and having the perfect nutrition and blah, 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 and investing all the time and money, then they can't at the end of the day stand and go, well, I did everything I could. You know, that that's not what it means to give wholehearted effort and that that's the one route to do it. And she brings up a good point. You might be someone who is constrained by being a work, working parent or um, being a student with three degrees or balancing, you know, being uh, like I was at being a musician and an academic and an athlete. Um, There's just, you might, you might be poor, you might be rich, you might have, there's so many different factors you could, you could kind of throw in where, where the outcome is going to literally look different. And here's my, here's what I'll say is outcome can look different, but definition can remain the same. So I can, I can hold to my definition of success as being, um, the maximizing of your potential and the wholehearted effort to do so. And I can ground that in my biblical foundation, which I could get to in a minute if you want. There's some stuff on that on, on cedarskier.com if you're curious about that. But I can all I can hold to that and have success on the one hand be, um, yes, I, I dedicated four years to my life to train for this like a pro athlete. And I did all the all of the things that I just described, training 22 hours a week, resting all the time, no job, like I'm just going to focus on this. Um, but I could also have definition of success be maximizing your full potential with wholehearted effort and been a working parent with three, four kids. And that looks like training five days a week only or something like that um, and doing everything I can. And I think those people get to at the end of the day go, yeah, I did everything I could in my power to be the best, um, the best version of me possible. Yes, absolutely. And you can stand there and go, that's success. So, um, Rachel, great comment. And I think it, it, it sort of adds another layer to that, 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 that is important. You actually should, um, hold to a definition and I, I should challenge myself this as well as yes, maximize, maximizing yourself, giving a wholehearted effort to be the best version of you possible. But what, but what's an outcome that is going to, is going to ensure that at the end you can stand there and go, I'm really thrilled. 
um, about what I did, and I can be proud of it. I think um, some of that, it, th- that's where it gets kind of difficult because sometimes it's it can be somewhat tangible. Like, you know, I have this goal at the end of the day that even though I have all these constraints around me, I want to try to do a 50K race for the first time ever. And then just finishing it, you're like, I did it. And And sometimes we have outcomes that are less tangible, though, where I'm hoping to improve my place at the Berkey and gosh, I'd like to actually like be top 10, you know, maybe that seems really far out. Well, then you show up at the Berkey, it's bad weather. You actually are really fit. You did everything you could, but you get 30th, you know, um, are you disappointed or do you just have to internally be aware that oh, I gave everything I could, I did everything in my power to be the best I could today. And so that, that's, I think where some of that goes, uh, to be honest. And I did mention that I'm kind of in the works of writing a column about definition of a success. I'm not even sure if I'm going to post this. I mean, I don't know. I feel like sometimes when I post things like this, people don't care or they get mad. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I did started writing kind of a, a, a more in-depth like, okay, what is success? Is it a true statement? And what's your basis? What's foundation? Like if you define success a certain way, can you answer the question says who to it? And I like thinking about stuff like that. Like if we're going to, if you were listening to that and you're going, no, you're off all the way. Anyone can define success however they want. Well, then I want to say, but says who, like on what basis do you define success that way? And what basis do I define success the way I define it? And I think a lot of things like this, and this is a very important concept. You, you should be trying to think fundamentally about it, foundationally about it. Like why, why can I say this is how success is? And this has been such a cool breakthrough for me in terms of my Christian walk and kind of coming to this place of understanding the biblical basis for it. And so, you know, where, where I'm coming from there, just if you're, if you are interested, if you're not, you know, skip ahead the next four minutes, I guess. But in the Bible, you know, we have God talking about how he bestows talent in different quantities upon people. But no matter what, he's calling his followers to do everything with your whole heart as if working on to the Lord. And so my firm belief is that those two realities form the basis for a definition of success, which is giving your all to be your all and giving all of your glory to God. And I'll, I'll read to you what I wrote here. It says, one reason why sports psychologists preach the importance of athletes defining success is that it gives a clear carrot for them to chase. I think that's that's something we all have seen where where sports psychologists or coaches or mentors, wise mentors say, you know, you got to find your why because that's going to fuel you. I go on here. Incidentally, there's no greater motivation to be the best you can be than doing it for the only thing in this world worthy of a true wholehearted devotion. So this is something that I never really poke and prod enough when I interview really elite athletes, but I love asking them what their why is to see what they'll respond with. But I almost never... I'll say this, I almost always have receiver response where you go, wow, what a valuable thing. It is valuable. You know, they're doing it for family. They're doing it for a cause. They're doing it to be a voice for someone, to inspire um, a population or a group that's um, underprivileged or, uh, you know, is battling other issues. They're, they're doing it to cement a legacy. They're winning for the survivors, the common man, blah, blah, blah. There's just all these causes that we as a, as a secular world will look at and go, that has meaning and that's good for them. Um, but, but ultimately, ultimately, and, and what I would say is <laughs> those, those aren't refined in the fire at the end of days. In other words, they're not eternal. They, even those things won't last. So it's great that, you know, 
you're you are trying to be a great athlete because your twin brother became a paraplegic and you just want to like you know strive for him individually and personally and also for everyone who who has maybe lost a limb or lost the ability to walk like that's a emotional cause it's a deep cause it's a moving cause um but it's not necessarily an eternal cause and and it's not it's not as worthy of a cause as serving the only thing that's actually worthy of praise which is god um and that's kind of the thing is like what is what is actually worthy of your devotion? What is the only thing worthy of your heart? What's the only thing worthy of your worship? And the answer is God. We will worship something. All of us will, whether you're an atheist or not, but there's only one thing that's worthy of your devotion and worship. And so I wrote, I've come across many athletes, I myself included, I I will put myself in here, who have postured very noble wise in their athletic journeys, but they are all embarrassingly pale compared to the God of the universe. And that's very true. And and I I can lump myself in there as having somewhat superficial um, goals and whys in my own athletic journey. Uh, I want to do this because of X or Y or Z, and, and ultimately they pale in comparison to that. You might ask, who are you to say that this is what success is? To which I would respond, I'm not. That's the whole point. We live in God's world, and he is the one who calls it like it is. So he's the one who gets to define things. We can align our lives in his light and be blessed as a result, or reject the one we all know exists and continue our walking in painful emptiness. That's the brutal truth in reality, is at the end of the day, as noble as a, a why as someone else might have and as amazing as an athlete as they are and as much as they accomplish, we're talking Olympic gold medals and everything, like the, the Hollywood ending and Hollywood story that we see there, at the end of the day, those things are empty if they don't include the, the God of the Bible, the God who is, you know, the Alpha and the Omega. That's the only one that's really worthy of, of our hearts. And I think we all like kind of know that. Even those of us who are not professing Christians or have never even walked into a church a day in our lives or someone who's been to a church and was like, yeah, that was weird or religion has really turned me off because of X, Y, Z. We all still have this internal awareness that there's a creator out there who knows us really intimately and who knows our hearts and our desires and knows how we are wired and and who is worthy of our praise and our devotion and worthy of us to bow the knee to it. And we want to bow the knee to him. We, we, we know that he is good and knows all things and has, you know, um, good purposes and intense intentions for our lives. But there is this heart inside of us where we also want to be our own God unto ourselves. And, and even Christians do struggle with that as well. It's a human nature to be that God unto ourselves. And so we, we push back against that and we look for that escape route that is so prevalent and available in the secular world today. It's it's pretty easy to not be a Christian in the secular world in terms of finding someone who's going to support you in that decision. Last thing on this uh, short article I wrote, for what it's worth, I will say that true success does, especially in athletics, um, acts, oh, I, maybe I didn't even, <laughs> never mind, I might not have proofread this. Okay, yeah, 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 never mind, I'm not gonna read this last part. So, a little food for thought there. This connects to the next thing so if you had lowered the volume on the bike, you could turn it back up here. Hi, we're here. We're back. Mm. I was listening to two Olympian alpine skiers on a podcast recently. Talk about the difference between the job-like approach <clears throat> that the Europeans take to their sport and their craft and sort of this idea of it's got to be fun that Americans have. And 
I believe that this is a conversation that is a both and and not an either or. So what I mean by that is the best, most successful, and happiest people do approach that athletic like as a job, but it's it's a it's a labor of love to the degree that they are having fun doing it. Um, so it's both. You approach it with that job-like seriousness, responsibility that this is what I'm called to do and I'm called to do it and therefore I'm going to be doing the best that I can be. Just we're connecting this back to those themes of, well, why why is it worth being the best you can be? Well, because I'm doing it for my creator. <laughs> you know, like that's why it's worth it. It's worth every penny of it, no matter what the literal physical outcome becomes. So that job-like approach rooted in a good why and and since it's a passion that you have that you're wired to love, it's also a joy. So I think it's kind of interesting when these conversations I hear kind of roll, well, we need to just focus on it being fun or that's too serious. It's like they make it seem like it's an either or. You want to be doing something that feels fun. You want that that work. We are made as as men and women to work. Um, I should say man, M-A-N, is made to work <laughs> and uh and we are also wired in a certain way to enjoy certain things. So those things should go together. They should complement each other. Our, our passion for something, yes, there's obviously going to be things that aren't as enjoyable as other things, but but overarching, it should be a joy and sports should be no different. So that's that's kind of my my quick take on that. When I heard that conversation, it's like, why are, we shouldn't be trying to to put point these at each other. The, the thing that was brought up was in Europe, there's a lot of higher success rate with these athletes who have this job-like approach. Um, and I can think of conversation I had with Ivan Babikov when he really sort of pointed out this dichotomy, how in Russia it's so job-like. And North America, the um, camaraderie with athletes and and coaches who cared about you as people. And, and it, was, it was sort of such a difference that he sort of equated that experience with it's more fun. But I think even Ivan would 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 um, acknowledge that there's more layers to that. It's not like we were partying here in North America and it was total drill, you know, in Russia. Yes, there was this more authoritarian setup. You know, the com- the common the common uh, environment there was was quite a bit different. But um, I think they, there's there's it's it's too simple to just say it that one way. <clears throat> but regardless. It made me think, how would I, as a parent or a coach, try to counsel someone who is maybe struggling in this area? Or, you know, they're not they're not sure if they're enjoying what they're doing with the sport, or they're not sure if maybe it's it's the reason they're not enjoying it is because it's quote too serious. Um and I think I I think what I would say I think this is a hard. This is a, this is really hard. You got to know the person you're talking to, but I, th- but I think ultimately the principle can still hold. Where, hey, if this sport is enjoyable to you, um, the job-like reality of it should also feel enjoyable to you. You should look forward to this. You should look forward to the aspects of it because you you really love all the things. You love the process about it. Um, it it does get a little bit tricky. I think the older athletes get because I I, I am a firm believer that. You know, uh, for men, we we are created and called to lead families, to provide for our families, and to protect our families. And the reality is, is that's going to manifest itself in a job where you're getting paid. <laughs> and um, 
you know, it's my belief that women can also work and they're capable of doing that and capable of being in sports, but but also that innately they're created and wired to <clears throat> nourish a house, to be the CEO of a house, to raise kids and to be mothers. And so does that impact how I would offer guidance when it comes to this idea of job-like joy? Uh, I think it, it sort of does, but it's maybe a little bit too... Um, too thick and complex of a topic to really try to dive into and dissect right now. Uh, there's been some really good, good things I've read about complementarianism. You know, where with men and women really embracing their uniqueness, and and it's a uh, and the and anyway, I'm not going to go down that road actually. But <laughs> this actually does lead into one topic I want to bring up. It's a little controversial, but you know, I think it's it's uh it's worth it and it needs to be discussed kind of going back to this in the you know the Hans Falada book it's like no one everyone's kind of afraid to say anything about this and that's what's happening in the NCAA and swimming with Leah Thomas um I feel like we have kind of two ends of the spectrum right now where on one side you've got some people who are not afraid at all to support uh Leah and we have some people who are not afraid at all to maybe even act immature in how they are pointing out um, truths that the majority of the people in the middle are going, I agree with you, but I can't be seen agreeing with you, you know, circa Hans Falada. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hard issue to have out in public, but I think one thing that spoke volumes to me as I was following the NCAA championships was that Pat Ford, the Sports Illustrated article, um, writer, who had a daughter racing against Leah and is an All-American from Stanford, he was at the at the championships, <clears throat> posting pictures on Twitter from it. You know, here I am, and and not saying anything about the issue that is obviously the entire world was following this. Like ESPN doesn't carry a lick about NCAA sports generally, unless it's basketball or football, and they definitely don't care about ncaa women's swimming unless now we have leah thomas and so they had katie barnes writing articles and she was on site and it was just you know espn was putting those stories on the front of their page so this is big time news and pat ford isn't even talking about it and her his own daughter is in the races i thought that was telling to the if you're someone who disagreed with me that oh we're not living in world war ii i get it Oh, you're just you're overblowing this. I am I though. If if Pat Ford isn't even mentioning this, he has every right to stay silent because he knows it's a controversial topic. But the fact that he is staying silent is indicative that he understands the climate and the risk that that um, would be inherent with speaking on this issue. That should tell you something. Yes, if I was in his shoes. It would be very scary to talk about it, and I would maybe shirk in fear. That's the whole point I'm bringing up, is that we even have that. That he can't even say something as basic and simple as, and and something that we all should be able to agree on is, yeah, men and women are fundamentally different. And, and that's the other part that really shocked me um when we when in the with the supreme court justice like those conversations that we're having when when they said can you define woman for us it wasn't all that disturbing to me that she sort of tried to pass on that like no i can't define what woman is because i think as people have brought up in other mainstream medias and try to cover her is like that's that's a harder answer than than might meet the eye okay fine 
But the more telling thing was when the follow-up question was, are you in agreement with what Ruth Bader Ginsburg even said, that men and women are fundamentally different? And she didn't comment on that. If we're living in a place where people are unwilling to um, write out a definition for a woman, I can live with that. If we're in a place where we're unwilling to even just admit that men and women are different, that's crazy. That's crazy. Because you you can, and even like civil conversations over this transgender debate can can err on the side of hey i'm not really sure how we should deal with this maybe we maybe the solution is that we have three divisions or distinctions or more um i've heard a lot of different ideas um from both sides from people advocates of protecting women's sports from people who are advocating of um opening the doors more for transgender athletes you know they're they're trying to come up with solutions, but the civil conversation around that is a recognition is based on a recognition that yes, men and women are different, so that's why we have an issue here. And to have that kind of an idea silenced is wild. And it, it is kind of crazy. I, I would be interested <clears throat> to lob the question at a world class like a Jess Diggins or um, a Tres Johag, or even on the male side like Johannes Klabo. <clears throat> although he he wouldn't have much at stake here, but just throw it out there like, hey, this is an issue obviously happening in NCAA swimming. Would you be okay with a biological male competing against you at the next World Cup? <laughs> like, what are they going to say to that? You know that, that, you know that they're going to not answer that question. Isn't it crazy that we, we already know they wouldn't answer that question? And that that's a wild thing to think about that we live in a place where they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to answer that question. I gotta just switch gears here because I want to end on something a little more back to skiing, a little more upbeat, um, hot take. Um, so <laughs> the Bergie results, I, I was doing a little deep diving here. Elliot Heath, who is probably the greatest high school distance runner to ever come out of the state of Minnesota, which is actually kind of an amazing statement. That means that doesn't mean a lot. I think he ran 843 in the two mile back in 2007. <clears throat> and he went to Stanford and won a national title in the 3K. He had a, an often injured, injury laden career, but he ended up actually getting a world championship silver medal in 2013 in cross country. One of the greatest upsets ever. Like our men's team. At World Cross, won a silver medal as a team. He was with Ben True and some other guys. I mean, that alone, even though he's he he did not really flourish to his full potential in the pro ranks, that's such an amazing accomplishment. Well, anyway, Elliot Heath was out in Leadville this fall. Apparently, his family has some connections here, so he had visited before. But he was out just with his girlfriend, like vacationing, um, and it was right, it was in November, early November. So when we had that snow up on on Hagerman Pass, and I was up there every day, went up there at night. I see this this these two people walking around on the road, and I stopped just because it was like, wow, there's people out in the middle of nowhere. Like we are really in the middle of nowhere. I should maybe ask them if they're like lost. And as soon as he came up, I recognized him as Elliot Heath because I'm a runner nerd, and so we were talking, and and I. <clears throat> I did, you know, admit that I knew who he was. But anyway, he said he at that time, he's like, I think I'm going to race the Berkey. And Elliot was a good high school Nordic skier. His brother Garrett won two state titles, actually, in cross-country skiing. And so I was like, oh, this would be interesting. I'm definitely, definitely going to follow up. And um, I think I, I should pull this up now. I don't have the link with me. But in the results... It says Garrett Heath got, I want to say, like 40th or 50th place in the 55K, like in the Master Art Freestyle, which is just wild because, first of all, I I, I got 
verbal confirmation from Elliot Heath himself that he was going to race the Berkey. So would he enter the Berkey as Garrett Heath? That's interesting. Why would you do that? Joke? I don't know. Um, and second of all, uh, is it possible that Garrett Heath actually raced the Berkey? All right, so I pulled it up. Berkey results 2022. Actually, this is. <clears throat> I'm glad I did this because I forgot. Elliot Heath, this is just, this gets so dramatic. Elliot Heath is listed bib 1504 disqualified. Elliot, what did you do? <laughs> um, and it says, um, mm, I can't, I actually don't see, does it say any of his start? It does have a start time for him, 1035. It shows that gun time, 140, fire tower, Oh, weird. It has no time, no time indications on anything, really. This is weird. Like, it has a 34th as overall place, but it doesn't have any sector splits, really. So, I, I, yeah, it's just weird. I don't understand it. Now, we have Garrett Heath also in this result list. Okay, Garrett Heath, bib 1457, lists Seattle, Washington as his home, 36 years old. That's all Garrett Heath stuff. Elliot's 33, Garrett's 36. And he was 57th place overall. Um, and looks like he started in the elite wave because it has him, um, his chip time, gun time, right? He's starting in overall number one. So he must have been in the front of the pack. I, I, did, can someone confirm? Garrett Garrett's <laughs> at the Firehurt Tower. He was in 88th place and he worked his way up to 57th. Can someone confirm? Did Garrett Heath race the Berkey? And did, or did Elliot Heath raise the Berkey or did they both race the Berkey and one of them got disqualified? This is, this is some serious investigative journalism. I need to get to the bottom of this. I do. Um, and here's my other hot take Berkey related. Cause you know, I love the Berkey. You know, I've got a daughter. Her name's Novi. She's going to start skiing soon, right? She's seven months old. We got to get her on skis here pretty quick. Uh, I want her skiing before she's crawling. She's not been crawling yet, but she's close to standing. So if we can get her skiing before she was crawling or walking, I would consider that maybe the ultimate parent accomplishment um, for myself. But if I was a stud 16-year-old, like I, I hope I can raise Novi to be a stud, you know, stud teenage phenom who cares little about, you know, like racing 5Ks and stuff. She's going to be like someone who just like, no, dad, I'm just coming with you. Like we're going to hammer 50Ks, we're going to 100Ks, we're going to go right to the Vizmas right away. I don't care. Like, let's just, let's just go for it. Um, sort of like a Tiernan Wolfgram or whatever her name was. The, the Tiernan was, uh, Tierney Wolfgram. Tierney Wolfgram was a 16 or 17 year old girl who ran at the Olympic marathon trials here. She's from Minneapolis. It's a cool story. She won the state cross country championship preps and then ran like a 240 marathon. So that's cool. But anyway, if I was young like that and I was pretty good, I'd just enter the Berkey randomly and try to be the youngest winner ever. Like, how legendary would it be to be 15 years old and win the Berkey? You know, I, I and I wonder, is it possible that a guy could actually do that? I, I'm not sure if it really is. Um, you think about the most prodigious 15-year-old male that we've ever had. Could they have hopped into like a 55K and raised a, And There's usually some some good US ski team members on the girls side there's there are two especially now it seems like we're getting a little bit more of that but um like Jess Diggins at 15 or 16 I feel like she would have stood a pretty good chance you know and and all it would take is is either you have a situation where the US women's team <clears throat> kind of moves away to the point where there's a super tour that's better or different or they're gone or the team just kind of lacks some depth some year and then you've got some stud coming up who is just amazing uh, you know, and, and I'm thinking, right, honestly, like Nina Schomburger 
it, it would have been interesting to see how well she could have done at the Berkey. I guarantee she would have been in the top 10, uh, you know, because even at U.S. Senior Nationals, she's shaking things up. So <laughs> she just kind of has like, she's good skate skier. Um, it would be interesting to see how she would do. But that's that's like one thing I thought of is like, why don't people try and do that? You know, are you the, if you're that good, you you wouldn't really have to worry about missing some random junior national qualifier or whatever. It's also, it's at the end of February. So theoretically, you could race that and show up 10 days later and still compete very well at the junior nationals if, if that's what you really wanted to do. I guess this year we had junior worlds that kind of maybe would have overlapped, but um, even, yeah, I don't know. Like we've seen so many athletes now where junior worlds just doesn't seem to matter that much. Like you could be a stud there and that doesn't say anything about your career. So who really cares? Like if you're confident and you love what you're doing, go do what you love to do. And if you want to do a marathon race, you know, mix it up. It just seems weird that sometimes athletes seem so particular in what they're doing. Um, as if someone else is telling them that they need to do something else. So I don't know, maybe we'll raise a daughter like Novi who just doesn't really, follow the path and sort of the the hippie skier um you know who knows she might not even ski at all my my mom tells me like what if she you know wants to ride horses or something <clears throat> we can't do that we would not be able to afford that so no you can't you can't do that but anyway hey we we made this show happen in a pretty reasonable time so happy about that usually you know we're we're really scratching in you know, two hours or something like that so i uh, hope you enjoyed this podcast uh, Cedar Skier Podcast. Check us out on Anchor. You can go to cedarskier.com. Check out some of our articles. We've been posting some things. Our April Fool's Day. Unfortunately, we had a lot more articles in the bank that never were written, but I guess I can store them up for next time. I have another great podcast coming out, an interview with Megan Buchanan. We're going to upload that uh, later in the week. That That's going to be sweet. If you're someone who is um, loves you know, injury redemption stories. You you love hearing about um, really strong women who are doing amazing things. You're going to love that interview. Her story is pretty amazing. She was in a horrific life-threatening snowboard accident and in her 30s up in Vail and then um, and has recovered, since recovered and is trying to become just the, I want to say, second American woman to do the Explorers Grand Slam, which includes going to the North and South Poles and then summiting um, the eight tallest peaks on the seven continents. There's one of them has two peaks, I guess. Um, so she is currently in Nepal on her way for a second Everest attempt. And she's got a pretty crazy story. Like last year she was um, on Everest 23,000 feet up and her Sherpas got COVID and they had to turn around and go back. Um, so it's, it's been a pretty crazy journey. She also has grown up fighting dyslexia and it's pretty fascinating to hear how she overcame that to, um, have an incredible career, like aerospace engineer career. So, uh, that's, that's, that's going to be dropped. That's gonna be a good episode coming up with you. Um, anyway, I guess that's, that's all I've got. So I'll end with keep on skiing keep on striving 10,000 feet you know here we are above all the clouds but below all the stars whoa 10,000 feet you know here we are above all the clouds and below the stars whoa l-e-a-d-v-i-l-l-e-g-u-i i'm a little guy we got a new hit for y'all here at kqwb it's from ryan cedarquist all the way from Lundell, colorado yeah, we behind the sky. Give me that high mountain vibe. Cloud City, baby, dope is that fortune goodbye. 
John Winthrop said it best we're a city on a hill Horace David did the rest collecting bill after bill We got that Dutch Henry Hill You know we call it boom days Borough Wayson's Gajoran There's a couple of ways Of coming down Harrison And everyone is amazed I tell them Market Mountain Massive And I'm not even phased Saying hi to Smokey at the community threads I got my melee looking fresh You know I turning heads I'm stealing glances from your girl Better alert the feds as I ride in my dog sled, they thoroughbreds And I'm a panther for life, you know a cool cat Our teachers be so fly, you know they know how to snapchat And they be trippin' every time we be wearing a hat But we be drippin', we in crew circle shoutin' who that? And when we up to bat, let will be a true team We radical David Platt, we turnin' you into a We all in the Democrat, our stories need a new ream We all in the field chatting victory, it's our new Here we go. Silver Rush, heavy half coming over Columbine in the Leadville, 100 and pretty far Behind the winter tin park, went around the lake quicker than I can, even when I'm in a fast car Do we even have a bar? Tree line, BB, Pioneer, what? 24-7 back in the day, can I have a say when I want on my way? Get a nap at the Tennessee Pass Cafe 10,000 feet, you know, here we are Above all the clouds, but below the stars L-E-A-D-V-I-L-L-E-G-U-I I'm a level guy I went up and down around the mineral belt California Gulch and where the miners dwelt And as I saw the view, I saw the crowd that was dealt And as I saw the snow, I thought, does it really ever melt? But then I felt blessed to be here I love to like to hike, go to bike We look at the people at Pike And I'm thinking I might catch a reel tonight Fly fish in a full moon, the river is tight I'm exploring the back roads, it's my national right We got the highest airport in the world Even with a low pressure, you know that now we're in flight Heroic like the 10th mountain men at Camp Hale New gadgets and suits and tech, you think they'd be Christian Bale Cooper to Aspen, skiing powder and hiking shale When we go to war, one of the choices ain't to fail Are you a lead man, a dead man, Doc Holliday? The history's steeped in shooting and drugs and prostitutes at what's that you say? We stand in the shifting dirt of the mining plot Our young people think they can be happy with more pop But Floyd's cannabis can't elicit what we need Hard to let the rest in our hearts and I plead We know the people in our town are matches like the mine They make Cloud City what it is our glory to define L-E-A-D-V-I-L-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-E-L-